0: You are listening to the Indie Game Development Podcast Show, sponsored by CurioSoft Kids Games and the letter E. Visit the Indie Game Development Podcast site at www.indiegamepod.com. Thanks again for listening to the show. This interview is inspired by a quick meetup at the Game Developers Conference. Hi, I'm at a GDC, and I'm at the IGF competition, and this is the Student Showcase. Uh, how about you introduce yourself? Hey, my name is Paul Beleza, and I'm the
1: producer on the Misadventures of PB Winterbottom. It's a game that was in the Student IGF Showcase.
0: And what's the game about?
1: All right, the Misadventures of PB Winterbottom is a, a platformer that is based in the silent film universe, and it stars uh, a man named Winterbottom, who's like a villain with a heart of gold. And long story short, the game involves giving the user the ability to record all of their actions by holding down to a button. Upon release of that button, a clone appears repeating the exact actions you did, and the user can interact with them to create their own platform, and even in some cases to become the villain. So it's about cooperating with yourself, it's about competing against yourself, and eating a lot of pie.
0: Okay, um, so when you say you can compete and cooperate with yourself, What's the goal of each level?
1: Sure. Well, we have a whole different sort of kind of goals for different scenarios, still working on what a full level would be in a traditional Mario sense, but we have these kind of shorts, like to use the film metaphor, and the puzzles go like this. There's some modes where the game records you, and you hit a spawn point, it starts recording, you hit another point, stops it. And upon stopping, it replays. So in some cases, those replays will be evil versions of Winterbottom that you have to avoid. So if you can imagine a level with lots of Pies, you might have three evil versions of yourself running around, doing the same things you just did, but you have to avoid it to kind of collect more Pies. So you become the AI.
0: And um, what was the design process behind this? Because it wasn't, it isn't like any other traditional platform.
1: Certainly. Well, Matt Korba, the lead designer, kind of started with an idea he had a long time ago. He's always been obsessed with kind of time and pretty much it comes down to back to the future too. We're obsessed with that movie, right? So there's Barbara Martin McFly has to like interact with himself in the first movie, but if he touches himself, things are gonna explode. And we're like, God, we want to make a game that has to deal with that. As well as some like films like Tango that came out in the early eighties that had like layered, layered type of animation that was really influential on us. So we said, Let's make this game. So we took Matt's to love for a silent film and for like Edward Gorey and said, Well what if Edward Gorey made a silent film like Back to the Future Two? And that's basically like the core of where the game came from. So to get to the process of recording, Matt and I kind of drew out a lot of just drawings to like, emphasize this is how we think it should work. And that was still very confusing to people because was very much in our heads. So we go, okay, you know, the only reason we're going to get this across is if we make some prototypes. So Matt, who's not a programmer, taught himself enough flash to demonstrate that if you walk a certain distance and hold a button, you can record it and play back. Once we got that, people understood right away what we were going for. So from then, we just kind of kept prototyping to get, like, the basics of the mechanics down and said, you know what, I think we have enough to uh, recruit a team with. So we put an open call at USC and just had students come in every week, and whoever stuck with us through the summer became our team members. And we just kept prototyping and flash until we got to where we are now.
0: So, so you would define the process then as constant prototyping, constant experimentation. I mean, did you work on the same project at the same time, or were Or, you know, all through, or were you working on other projects at the same time to give you a different perspective?
1: Sure. Well,
0: um, I am also
1: a master's student in Matt's program as well, so I have to do my own thesis. So I was working on my own thesis project, which was a whole different game. I'm not going to get into right now. But Matt and I, like, have always worked together, and we said, you know, we want to make a game, so we made it happen. And we kinda, he, Matt is totally focused on this, is his project, and I'm his producer, so we just kind of got together and, and worked. But a lot of us have experience from our game design classes where the goal is in each class to design three or four games. And one of the beginning game design classes, you do all board games. You're creating board games and messing with system mechanics, and also doing kind of post-mortems on, on games that exist. and. Doing is something we call like a a feature change, where you take like a game like Call of Duty or like a big budget game and then change mechanics substantially and seeing how the game would come out. So what if like Call of Duty was like a, uh, I don't know, like a patty cake game or something something ridiculous, you know? We do like these exercises that really just can expand like what we think design are. So there's that emphasis and there's also an emphasis on understanding system mechanics and we're really taught to design on paper over and over to get your basic system down. Because there's no point in like creating a software prototype when you don't know what the rule set is. You end up spending a whole bunch of time, money, and you're wasted. So it's best to get it all on paper, then slowly get into software with basics. The basics. And just get that core system there and then layer on and layer on. And that's
0: when you talk about designing on paper, what do you mean? Do you mean paper prototyping or do you mean something entirely different, just writing down the rules? There's that. There's writing
1: down the rules, but we really mean like creating board games or creating like, you know, draw sketches of level designs. And, and so in some cases with we did we had, literally we had like a sketch, like a poster piece of paper and like kind of jumped winter bottom through like the levels and stuff. But that's very arduous. It's very difficult. So it was really crucial to get like a level design tool with the Flash Editor to like help us change those papers into reality and see if it really really work. But yeah, board games and uh, drawings really help.
0: Did you test the board games out on a lot of users? I know you said that you tried it out a little, but it didn 't work as much
1: we, d- we did uh, We did it with our like core team members and like our friends, but since we 're making a platformer it 's just kind of impossible altogether you know but uh, in, in other games, were you doing more like a strategy board game or something? absolutely like we We do these huge play- pretty much the way it works in the basic design classes is you you, you kind of create a board game, and then every week you and your peers like play each other 's games and get feedback for us a whole semester and it's really important.
0: Now, you mentioned that uh, you guys didn't know Flash when you first started this. Um, I mean, do you find that, was that a hindrance or a benefit in terms of, like, not knowing, you know, massive programming when you started? It's absolutely frustrating to know that you
1: can, you have an idea and you know what you want to see it, but you can't do it yourself. And whenever, you know, an idea goes from you to someone else, there's going to be something lost in translation. So, you know, Matt knew it was key for him to prove it, and so he taught himself. And he, he just, he had to just strengthen up and do it and I'm, I'm glad that he did and in retrospect if I can go back and kind of redo my education I, I definitely would take some basic programming but I'm by no means disappointed that I did a whole completely different feel.
0: You mentioned that you did an open casting call to recruit people. Um, Did you have the demo before? Did you show them the demo? How did you attract and recruit uh, potential people to work on your project?
1: Sure. So we definitely had, like, the core idea and drawings and concept, and we first had a session and just got emails. and then when we actually had the full recruitment meeting, we had a playable demo, and people could see it and, like, okay, I understand it. I know what you're going for. Sign me up. And that was key.
0: Um, How many people were at the recruitment meeting, and, I mean, what was... What was the rate that actually, you know, wanted to do it, and what were their hesitations? So I put up a flyer, I literally went around a
1: flyered all over campus, and I just put out a whole bunch of email blasts. We got about 30 kids come in. Uh, I also went to classes and, and advertised. There was actually three game projects that were looking for, for crew members. And so all of us combined got about 30 people in there. and uh,
0: 30 people? 30
1: people, Yeah. And that, w- that was intense. And, and what's kind of interesting and hard is that they're all designers. And so we're like, oh, hoping for an engineer, you know, but what are you going to do?
0: Um, since they were all designers, did you, I mean, I guess, like, did you want to have more designers, or were you still, like, did you have to be very decisive and be, like, okay, that's it, we just need engineers?
1: Well, no. We were very, like, allowing anyone who showed up to be part of the team, because I think this worked out very well for Flow. It's really like you just put put it out there, and whoever keeps showing up week after week, they're the ones who have the passion, and they're going to learn what they need to do to help you, and that's exactly what happened.
0: And so after the first call, the second call, third call—what I mean, not the first call, but like the second meeting, the third meeting—um, what happened? Like, did people stay with it? How did you keep people motivated? Because it's a, it's a different d- development model than what most Indies are used to. Do, so Absolutely.
1: Um. Well, basically, we made sure it wasn't about like meeting, 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 and brainstorming, brainstorming. We'd come in, we'd have, we just do an update, have some fun, watch some silent films, kind of get into the world, and then we would say, hey, you know, let's just let's just blue sky and we do big blue sky sessions, and then we would break into individual groups and design levels on our own, and then come back the next week and present them to each other, and just kind of getting get the ideas out there. And that was, that was a really good process. And got, people got their heads wrapped around uh, the idea of designing. However, I mean, until we really got the software prototype working, that's when it really clicked. Everyone was doing kind of crazy things in, on paper. Someone was like, we need a monkey, and we'd be like, mm, oh! They're not going to say no to that, but uh, once we get the engine in, we can re-examine that. And once we did, we're like, okay, no monkey, you know. How,
0: how long did the um, the software engine or prototype take to make? And um, after that, was it mostly the designers developing levels on top of that prototype?
1: So basically, Matt did the basics all summer long. He was teaching himself. It took him three months to get to get where he needed to get to. But Uh, later on the project, a high school kid named Asher, who Matt had taught in a class the summer before, who's just a flash whiz on his own, just grew up doing it. Uh, He's like, hey, what's going on? And Matt's like, hey, you want to check out our project? He came in and revamped a lot of our code, and he was really instrumental. And him and Matt made a level tool. I'd say we got like the full level tool up in uh, October, late October. So about two months to kind of get to where we needed to go, because they were still learning the process. But once we got that, everyone was turning out levels pretty rapidly.
0: You also have an interesting visual design. Um, what inspired that and how did you um, go from this? I mean I guess that's one of the benefits of not knowing the code offhand, because it would just seem visually extremely difficult to do but you know you definitely pulled it off. Can you talk about that? Some? Certainly.
1: Okay so our starting point was Edward Gorey and Tim Burton. We knew we wanted to make a game that invoked those worlds and so Matt uh, he's also an artist, so he, th- he did some 3D modeling, and he used this really interesting technique he learned uh, somewhere along in our education to get this vinyl look about them. Really make the characters come to life. So we would bake those sprites uh, using 3D in Maya, and then we would translate them into Flash. And that was really cool, really quick. You know, it, a character took about like two, three days to do if Matt was working like all day on it. But it, it wasn't that difficult to to get that. And then you know, looking at old New Yorker magazines and stuff for like. Um, the way the environment should look, and it all just uh, came out of that. So,
0: What were some of the challenges that you guys encountered, um, aside from developing stuff, that that may have, like, thrown off the project?
1: Well, we actually signed up to work on the project in a new class at UC, a collaboration between the engineering school and the design school called Advanced Game Project. And uh, we were banking that that's how we were going to get our main engineers, because Matt was like, I don't know Flash, I don't know Flash, mean engineers. So we, we signed up for this class, we auditioned, we had to do an addition, the spring before, so we did that, we made it. Mm -hmm. And we get into the class and we're told straight up by the instructor, like, no one wants to work in Flash. You really should do your game in 3D. We use Ogre 3D, that's our pipeline. And Matt and I almost pooped our pants because we're like, we've done all this work in Flash. We can do it. So we went against our better judgment and said, well, you know, we trust the engineers, let's try it. So for a month we were, yeah, we were going, trying to develop this in Ogre. And basically, long story short, we actually had a team working on a level editor in another class, an art pipeline team. It became 25 people and it became about managing teams and me and Matt just sped up and said, forget it, we're going back to Flash. We're doing it our way. And that was the best decision we made on the project.
0: Uh, were there any other challenges that came up?
1: Mm. Um, definitely that engineering one was, was the most difficult. And uh, kind of being cut off by their resources and saying, forget you guys, and just kind of dealing with some guff for a long time, that was, that was difficult. But, you know, our team persevered, and they're really excited, so we got through it, and I guess the most part was just like managing our time. So I got to do my own thesis, and everyone's in school, so balancing school was very difficult, but we, we pulled through.
0: Can you talk about the environment at USC that may have led to actually allowing you to develop such a thing, and, and how instrumental it was to allowing you to be create an innovative game. Mm, Certainly.
1: So, you know, Kelly Santiago and Genova Chen came out of our program and they did flow. And they're they're like, they're an inspiration to pretty much the whole industry and to us especially, they're our home home heroes, you know. And so Tracy Fullerton and Chris Wayne, the professors at USC have really cultivated this, this, this culture of innovating and doing things on paper and pushing ideas and not just kind of training to go out to the farm at EAs, which is a fine path to take, but it's more about like... We've got to push the boundaries, and the only way you can do that in a risky environment is in school or if you got a ton of money and schools schools where I went to learn all this stuff i 'm actually not yeah, i 'm not a programmer artist I, I I was a psychology major, so I, I knew this was my way in to learn design and it was the right choice because that 's exactly what we do. We focus on design before everything else, and so it's it's a really healthy place, and the you know, students are not shot down. You know, we're, we're told maybe you shouldn't be trying to reinvent storytelling in games. Might be a little big, but start small and start innovating on a small scale, and it could lead to great things. Look at Flow. I mean, it is like a very very simple game, and it's done a lot. So, now,
0: a lot of the people in that program aren't necessarily programmers. Um, you know, how is that a benefit, or how is that a drawback, and how do you deal with that? It's difficult because when you want to
1: you know, get your designs on software, it's hard. But we have some beginning classes, and we kind of prototype and torque 2D a lot. There's a professor named Peter Princeton who helps us out. And that, that's been okay, but usually what we do is we try to go find engineering friends and have them enroll in their classes, and a lot of them do, you know, because uh, you know, they're, they're learning their shaders, but they come in, and they're like, I want to I do a cool design class, and so you get that mix of people who can program. One of our designers actually programs, and he, he didn't want to be the lead programmer, but he, yeah. he does a little bit of scripting for us, and he's been an asset. So it, it works. It's, it's difficult, but we're, that's why we're trying to really kind of collaborate more with engineering school and, and working those type of issues out.
0: What would you say are the top two or three game design um, understandings or experiences that you've had at USC that maybe allow you, or even techniques that allow you to make much better games? Prototype rapidly and prototype often.
1: Play test, Get your game out there and get as much feedback as possible. You can't be in a bubble. Uh, and just be open. Be open to criticism. Be open to go, you know what, I should scratch this idea. Be able to, like, let it go. And uh, just come back and you might carry nuggets into something else top three. And what's
0: in store then for the future of the game?
1: Well, hopefully after GDC and after we graduate, we would, we would love to go on and do this commercially, uh, possibly as a downloadable content game for PSN or XBLA, possibly a portal on, uh, on the website, or our uh, PC downloadable game.
0: And what are your, your goals, I guess, for like your ultimate game or something
1: like that? I don't... I... I'm kind of a weird one because I went into the design school thinking I wanted to be a designer. And I love design, but I just, I'm just not that guy who has like the great idea that I want to make. I'm more like love teaming up with people and facilitating their ideas. I, I want to be a producer. I've realized that a year and a half. I'm like, that's kind of where my strength lies. And that's why Matt and I were a good choice because he's a creative type and he's a designer. And so he's, we kind of balance each other out. I'm process. He's design. And, I, I love facilitating, just being in the pit, like working on it, crunching on it, and I just want to be a, I just want to be a producer who can get it done. Thank you very much that's it.